I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. So we are combining three of the things we love, podcast and then story and breakfast. And specifically, we're looking at the biggest story. We tend to read the Bible like it's something boring, um, a little more mechanical, when in truth it's full of all kinds of complicated characters and plenty of room for the imaginative. Uh, we're hoping that this could open up the way we read these stories, that we would see the people in them as real people and that that might help us connect to maybe God is real too, if the characters are real. We're going to look at a bunch of different stories in scripture and just ask the question, what did they eat for breakfast? And what did they want to eat for breakfast? And we're also just going to talk about what life felt like for them in the hope that maybe we'll see ourselves in the story and we'll see a real God moving through real people. We're calling this the breakfast translation. Part of our podcast premise is breakfast, right? That's our whole thing is what do the people in the Bible, what do they eat for breakfast? And the reason we do that is just because this writer, Colin McCann, said that was his way into understanding his characters. But it strikes me as we get started in our, in our story this week that we also seem to think sometimes that morning is like a holier time, like morning is some kind of pure vision of who we are. Um, I grew up with this imp like impression in my head that you were supposed to get up early and do like a morning devotion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, did you ever have that impression? I feel the same way. Yeah, mm -hmm. or that the people who got up early and like prayed or They had it together. Still, like, yeah, they were the real. That was the standard. They were the real winners, mm -hmm. yeah. And um, as I've gotten older, I do think there's some, I think we even talked about this one episode, that there's something to starting slower. Um, and one of my, another favorite writer of mine, uh, Marilyn Robinson has this idea that people in, um, she's talking specifically about people in America right now. She says they live with joyless urgency. Ah. And I think that might be like one of the most cutting things I've heard anybody say. <laughs> it might us. hit a little close to home. Yeah. Joyless urgency just feels like so accurate. Mm -hmm. Like it feels like we're just sitting in the doctor's office and she said our disease out loud. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do, as we keep thinking about breakfast, it does have me in mind that maybe breakfast would be a space where we could slow down. That, um, not that we need to do like a, a 25 minute devotional, but not that there's anything wrong with that, mm -hmm. but maybe there is some wisdom to moving slower. Mm -hmm. And so maybe just thinking about breakfast would help us think about that. So we're going to look at a story today that stars Simon Peter and John, who have really been the, the major players in these opening chapters of Acts. Yeah. And so it seems worth just kind of slowing ourselves down a little bit and talking about these guys as people. Yes. Yeah, I have a confession that my, my habit from being young is every time we talked about the apostles, I lumped them in to one crew of 12. And so yes. it's John and Simon and Pete, all, all just one big mass. So... I like the idea of figuring out who they are as yeah. standalone. And that's how they are treated a lot of times in the stories, right? It's just the disciples. Right. And then, but then every once in a while, we do get this glimpse. What I think is interesting, that there were a few disciples who were extra close to Jesus. Yes. Or they were singled out for like special like assignments. And Peter, James, and John are the three who are brought in um, in a few of those moments. And so we have two of those guys here. Uh, one thing just about the disciples that I think is interesting, Priya Parker wrote this really smart book about how people um, gather together, and she says there is like a magic magic thing to the number 12. Okay. 
uh, that like, and she's talking about like corporate culture and like social science and stuff. Well, so, it seems to work. That's yes, the magic. Okay. That there's, it's some kind of magic where it's intimate enough. So it's not so big that anybody gets lost in the shuffle, mm -hmm. but it's, so it's intimate enough for people to bond, but it's also, it's big enough that there can be diversity of opinion. So you could have, you could have a sampling of different kinds of people. Yeah, you can have the class clown. Right. Yeah. And then the, the go-getter. All the superlatives, yeah. Without getting lost. Okay. So if you're doing a group project, 12 is some kind of magic, magic number. Uh, I always love that when, like, science and something that we see in scripture, like, when they validate each other. Right. I think that happens more often than we give credit to yeah, them both. Yeah. Nice to find those spots. So, and then, obviously, within that 12, Jesus seems to have this idea that a few of them um, could be closer to him and that maybe it's even his own like need for friendship okay you know like huh. like yeah. aside from just getting the task done right he needs some people that will understand him a little bit better yeah I definitely have my favorites <laughs> yeah right that's what I was thinking about like when you're in high school you do kind of run with this pack mm -hmm. of like maybe 15 to 20 people but then you always right there's like the the little teams within the team yes a lot of times and maybe even like within families we all would pick our favorites yeah, um, if they're listening, I have my favorite. Yeah. Say their name out loud. Uh -huh. Which one's your favorite and which ones you don't like? I'll keep them guessing. You don't like the most. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> so here we have Simon, Peter, and John. And again, just that ministry is often done in pairs in Scripture, that Jesus never sends a person out. I did notice that. that that's really neat to me, too. Yeah, well, and in the Gospels, there's a specific time where he says, you know, go with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so I've always felt that, like, if I had to go do a funeral or do something particularly difficult, that it was... It always felt more right to be in it with somebody else mm. that you were kind of serving God together. I think there's something to that. So here we have Simon Peter and John, two of Jesus' top three. Yes. In a, in a certain <laughs> way of thinking. Can um, you believe it? Yeah. So to, let's just talk about the disciples as a whole before we get into them. What is your just impression of them? It, you just read Luke, right? You've not read I a lot of I Acts. just read Luke. I'm in the beginning of Acts. But like you said, we have seen a lot of um, Simon Peter and John. But I guess Peter seems to be sort of a real go-getter. I don't know. I feel like he's very bold. Um, yes. Likes to stand on top of things and give speeches. And <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a all, fisherman. He says the most yeah. things, I think, of uh -huh. all the disciples. Like anytime Jesus asks a like, rhetorical question, Simon Peter's like, he's like the kid in class who just keeps raising his hand. Right. Yeah, I I do think we have, this might be a Parks and Rec podcast sometimes, because <laughs> he does, I was trying to think about who he reminds me of, and I do think he might be a touch Leslie Nope uh -huh. in that way, right? Like, she's bold, she, like, jumps in with all of her feet. Uh, for know, better or for worse. Right. Yeah. And so Simon Peter's also the one who, uh, you know, that moment in the water, he's the one who thinks, he sees Jesus walking on the water and thinks, oh, I bet I could I'm do gonna, that too. I'm going to do that. Yeah. And I think we give him a hard time because he falls in, mm -hmm. but he gets a couple, he gets a couple good steps in. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a poet I like named uh, Denise Levertov. And she has a, a poem where she imagines Simon Peter later in his life falling asleep and that maybe he could still like feel what it felt like to have the surface of the water that he just had a few steps. Wow, yeah. But he could, I, can't, maybe, I can't say the same. Yeah, so right. How many of him? us know what it feels mm -hmm. like to stand on water? Right. Like hardly any of us. So uh, he has this this boldness that also gets him in trouble. He also, one of his moments in Luke is him not being bold. Right. Being really afraid. 
this moment when everybody's mad at Jesus, it's Simon Peter who like says he doesn't even know him. You mm-hmm. know, it's like the, the Mariah Carey gif gif where she says, I don't know her. <laughs> Simon Peter, he's, he's by the fire. And then there's all this stuff going on. And uh-huh. somebody says, don't you know Jesus? And uh-huh. I, I don't know her. No, yeah. that guy. So he, he has moments of great Those failure. extremes. Yeah, and great success. Because mm-hmm. Jesus also saw that, says it's going to be on Simon Peter that he's going to build his church. And so that's our, what do you think he would have for breakfast? If he's impulsive, he's bold, he jumps out onto the water, he messes up yeah. big, what's his, what's his breakfast? I'd say he's the guy who if he went to a diner and they had one of those breakfast challenges, yes. he'd be all about it. Like who can eat 20 pancakes in an hour if you can you get it free if you don't you gotta you gotta pay and i feel like he's that that guy and i don't know which if he would be successful or not and he doesn't either but he's gonna give it a shot yeah he's gonna go strong for the first 30 minutes of the challenge yes yeah what do you think i i thought i love that about him we actually might record an episode in a diner that i know of that has a A breakfast challenge they have a breakfast (laughs) challenge where if you eat three of their pancakes you get your picture on the wall okay but those must be big pancakes oh they're huge yeah like bigger they like go outside of the plate which is a big plate Uh um yeah i love that he would jump in i also feel like he might be like he's not gonna bother with the bowl and the spoon he's just gonna like grab the handful of honey nut cheerios Mm -hmm. and walk out the door yeah like maybe He's in a kind of rush. Yeah. Kind of a person. Yeah. Um, he's about grab and go, maybe. Grab and go um, breakfast. Yeah. Let's talk about John. We know a little bit less about him, I think. I don't, he, doesn't, he doesn't play in quite as many stories. Right. Yeah, I don't feel as confident talking about John, but he must be something special since he's in Jesus' top, yeah. top three. <laughs> he might even be in the top one mm-hmm. because he's often referenced as the one that Jesus loved. Um, now he's referenced as the one Jesus loved in the book that he might have written. So, <laughs> so it could be a little bit of like, you know, Jesus's favorite, you right? Know? Like, it, it's clearly me, right? Right. Um, clearly. But he does have seem to have like there seems to be some kind of like uh, affection between them. Um, we don't know as much about him. He his name is attached to several books in the Bible, so the Gospel of John, and then also First, Second, and Third John. Mm-hmm that could have been written by him or written by people very close to him in this kind of community that, that came around him after Jesus was gone. And those books are really thoughtful. Okay. And they're really like the gospel of John is so philosophical and gives us all these insights that the other gospels don't about the nature of Jesus. So if I had to say what he ate in the morning, I think he might be like an omelet. Oh, he's like, well, today I want I want green peppers yes. and onions. Right. Very. I'm glad you actually know about omelets because oh, I don't yeah. even know what you would put in an omelet. But I have this <laughs> he's vision in my it. head that it requires more like thinking, more preparation. Yes. And that you would, it, w- it would be a slower. Right. Like John doesn't live with joyless urgency. No. Very intentional. Yes. Omelets, omelets take a step by step what ingredients am I going to do? What's the overall right. flavor palette going to be? Yeah. Now, I don't know. They don't, as we've said before, they probably just ate barley bread every day. So we're just speculating on what, we're just using this as a way to imagine who they could be. Um, but I wonder, one thing that I think about, we're about to see them in Acts chapter three, they do an extraordinary thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's kind of interesting about the disciples and specifically Simon Peter and John 
is that in Luke, they're they're bumbling. Like, right. Yeah. I know. I We're only a handful of chapters into Acts, but I kind of thought it was going to be a tale of, oh, here's the apostles messing it up again. Yeah. But we're not, I, I, we're not really seeing that so far. I yeah. think they're kind of killing it. In Luke, they're almost all class clowns. You know, they're constantly being set up. Like they ask questions that Jesus is like, well, that's not the right question there's a few times where they're like can we just kill these people we don't like them and Jesus <laughs> is like no oh, guys we're not really here peace. to rain fire yeah. down on cities yeah. and stuff and they are they're, they're bumbling and they they are looking for their own greatness there's a bunch of things where they they kind of ask for James and John that is one thing we know about them is John's a part of this conversation where he asked if he can have a bunch of power sometime later you know mm-hmm. And can he get called the greatest someday? Mm-hmm. And John, Jesus uses that to say, uh, no, no that's, actually, that's actually the opposite <laughs> of greatness is trying to be great. Um, but in, yeah, you're right. They do kind of, they make a turn. And there could be a lot of explanations for that. One is just that the, if they saw a resurrected Jesus, you might wake up different the next day. Right. <laughs> you might wake up with like a, a f- a, some better priorities yeah yeah you, you might stop being such a like uh, about yourself and like being can like, i be the greatest yeah. you saw what the greatest yeah. looks like yeah. you might stop asking that question after you've seen somebody walk out of a grave that it might be humbling and there's also we talked about how one of the big rules of the book of acts is the power of the spirit yes it, it seems to play a lot more of a physical role than i really pictured it operating yeah because like right before it says they do something it'll say filled with the spirit right so it's letting you know they're not just doing this it wasn't just like a a personality shift right that may have played a part in like the stakes being raised in their work but um they seem to be empowered by the spirit and so this is a great big idea that we don't always know how to talk about i don't know i feel like in the churches i've been a part of spirit is harder for us to talk about Mm -hmm. it's like this looser idea than we have it feels really airy but almost the way that we see it here is it it feels like something something new is in that space and yeah it's been fascinating to yeah and it's really practical right the spirit makes stuff happen yeah and so if you think about it i had a teacher tell me once that like basically anytime we see god at work in the world that's the spirit of God working, but we don't give credit there because, like, God the creator is easier for our brains, and God as Jesus has a man, like, his stories and all that stuff make him a little bit easier for us to understand. But the spirit who kind of moves in and out and is like a counselor, but like one minute is over here and the next minute is over here, and that's harder for us to get. And I think even the idea of God at work in us. <laughs> is maybe even sometimes hard for us to accept because that's what so many of the other letters are going to go on to say is that the spirit can come in and make you a different person. Right. And so it's just this big giant idea that I think we don't know what to do with. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah, I agree. So the thing that we get to see the spirit help them do is to heal somebody. Uh, there, One thing that's interesting is that they are still going to the temple on a regular basis, right? So not necessarily morning devotions, but they're going, it tells us, I think it's like three in the afternoon. Yeah, 3 p.m. Yeah. So 
our idea that morning is somehow more holy maybe doesn't hold up because they're going at three o'clock. I know that was an inconvenient detail for our <laughs> podcast, I would say. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the three, it's not on brand. The three o'clock <laughs> translation is not as interesting. That's like, that's like the third breakfast if you're mm-hmm. eating it at three o'clock. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But that sounds great. Yeah. That's maybe like donuts or something. Like, but here they are at three o'clock. This is what's interesting to me is there's this period where they're still doing Jewish things. Like the thing that was a part of their religious life is still meaningful to them, even on this side of the life of Jesus. So they're still going to the temple. They're still doing the things that were meaningful to them. And that includes going to pray at a certain time every day. Um, And what I think is there's so many interesting things about somebody being healed. Right. Uh, Like that's in and of itself pretty exciting. Really like a lot of things to talk about there. One of my favorite things to just think about with this story, it tells us that this guy was fortunate enough that he had some friends who would every day bring him to the temple in the hopes that somebody would offer him some kindnesses, that this was a place where people's hearts might be more open. Um, So he has friends who bring him there, and it tells us that he's been doing this every day for a while. Mm -hmm. And why that kind of catches my attention is that we know that Jesus also used to go to the temple every day so it makes me wonder did Jesus ever walk by this guy Mm -hmm. right was he ever he's healed on this day like Simon Peter and John heal him on this day right why why this day and what was happening before then yeah that word I do remember learning it's called the beautiful gate and I do remember learning that the other word for beautiful there is also timely Oh, interesting. That this was maybe the right time mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, whether it's because of something inside of this man. Right. That today is the right day, that it's something. That he could receive, yeah, healing different or. Yeah. I mean, how often are we offered something that will make our life better and we we push it away, we reject it. So maybe there's something inside of him that makes this the right day. Um, or maybe the other kind of speculation there is that this is the moment that God needed him in the story and so it's on this day that he is healed um what do you think about healing i'm i'm not gonna lie it kind of stresses me out (laughs) (laughs) the idea of it It has a possibility it does i mean it of course it's it's amazing and it's so incredible to read about miracles but it is one of those things that does not feel it's really hard to map on to what you might see how you might see the bible working on today so it's something that i have to kind of slow down and be a little bit more open-minded about so yeah I, I share a similar I'm skeptical like right. if somebody came to me and said I had this problem and now it's gone like I would I would have questions right you know, right like there's just, so there's more layers to it so it takes a little yeah. bit more work on my end to yeah to reach what what's happening and I agree yeah mm-hmm. and I think one thing that's happening is I think one way I have often like talked myself out of it is to say that this was an extreme moment when the whole world was watching Mm -hmm. the early church. And so I think one of the ways that the church has kind of gotten away with not believing these things anymore is to say, well, that was for then. Yeah. Which we also do with the spirit, right? Right. Sometimes we do that. That's something they needed then. Yes. Anything that's like hard for us to understand or that sounds extreme, we get kind of embarrassed by it, I think. And so we want to, but I also, part of me also wants to say that, it's it's just as much of a miracle 
when somebody in us in a lab like puts this thing in the beaker absolutely and they figure out that this cures an ailment Mm -hmm. and even if like whether or not the person who moves that chemical a i understand science as much as i understand omelets <laughs> no i want you to keep keep trying <laughs> <laughs> like let's say a guy or like the lady moves this from beaker a to beaker b and like finds a cure and like whether or not they would say the hand of god is in the lab with them guy like, I, li- I like to think that the hand of god was in the lab with them uh, one of the most fascinating things to me about the vaccine science is that it was in the works for years. Right, prior, I, I know yeah. this story. And they nobody was paying any attention to it. They tried to like publish that they had this way to deal with the, again, not a scientist, but there were like spikes on coronaviruses. Yes. And they had found a way to combat the spikes, but nobody would publish it. Like they were sending it to all these magazines it and journals. It wasn't something they needed right. at the time, but. And then all of a sudden when it was the most important work in the world, like people paid attention right but I guess that's just to say I also think what we've seen nurses and doctors and frontline workers what we've seen them do over the last year also in my mind is a miracle yes like that a person could like I can't I don't even like taking shots or having my blood drawn or like the the thought of somebody being able to cut a woman open for a cesarean and like pull life out of her yeah what <laughs> seems like um that seems like a miracle it to does me. like that I am in just as much awe of that right as I would be somebody like healing somebody with just a touch mm-hmm. so to me that's also I would I would say I think loosely that that is also the spirit of God working and because the spirit is uncredited so often uh that what we're seeing when we see those kind of things are also maybe miracles mm-hmm. now what happens in the story uh they do not get celebrated for this quite the opposite <laughs> no they get thrown in jail uh-huh. now it's also because they have this habit of giving these big speeches right which um maybe people are just like guys we've heard you you're just talking too much gotta go <laughs> yeah we're not we don't really love the long speeches uh but also i think they do, they do get thrown in prison several times. And every time it's kind of mentioned that the problem is that they're speaking in the name of Jesus and that they are proclaiming resurrection. And one of the things that we're going to keep seeing in the story is that this proclamation that death is not the end of people and that Jesus is Lord, it's a threat to a bunch of systems that are in place. Okay. That there are these people who are dependent on, there's like, there's fortune tellers who like prey on people who want to understand the world around them. And so they make all this money on fortune telling. Mm-hmm. There are um, people who make idols. Like we're going to meet some of them in some of these cities that they spend their day making these idols that people then feel like, well, I have to have an idol in my house. Or like I physical idols that yeah. they can. Okay. Of these other gods. Right. And these other like lords, so to speak. And so they're, you know, and then you think about like, you know how much we pay attention to like jobs reports and things like that like the economy yes and how much that causes like fear in people i i understand science (laughs) omelets and the economy stocks yeah i understand so many things about um stocks Mm -hmm. that's like my favorite stock i cannot stop stop talking about mutual funds Yeah. yeah um but i know enough to know that people get real afraid when they think money's oh yeah and so it's a threat to all these systems and to the government system that is in place that has finally, they're, they're dominating the world right now in the, in the 
Greco-Roman world, so they they don't want any threat to that. So if there's this guy, Jesus, who raised from the dead, death's not the end, then all of a sudden these idols aren't meaningful and fortune changes that economy. Yeah, and then you think about the kinds of stories Jesus told. Like he told stories about the great people not being great. Mm -hmm. And he told stories about uh, the people who work at the end of the day should get paid just as much as the people who worked all day. And so if you go back and like look at some of his stories, it, if those stories are being told and repeated, people Threatens are getting nervous. Yeah. yeah, like so it, it kind of makes makes some sense that every time they kind of raise up and they say something about Jesus, um, they end up in prison. Uh, one of the things about prison breakfast. Tell me. <laughs> yeah, um, I know what, little what to none. You know about prison breakfast. You know a lot about it. I know a lot, but I'm willing to learn. <laughs> I don't surprise me. I know more about stocks. The one thing I know about prison breakfast, at least back in these days, is that they didn't have like this big giant system of jail and stuff. Like it wasn't the Shawshank Redemption where they have like a lunch tray and they go slot in the wall. I know everything about prison. I know from Shawshank Redemption. (laughs) Jeff Stewart's perfect depiction of what life in prison is like. But a lot of times when you were in prison your community had to provide food for you um so they would have still needed the church to kind of show up for them in the space and provide their daily bread so if the community wasn't willing to provide it just meant no no breakfast or wow so we'll see that when like paul ends up in prison for long periods of time like, that's why he's still able to write letters to pastor to communicate because he's most likely in some kind of, like, house arrest. Um, but even with the disciples, like, they would have, it would have been a more, like, just kind of a different system than we know. But they would have still needed the community, which the community is very, shows up for them every time. And, of course, they never actually, spoiler alert, they don't really stay in prison for very long. Like, oftentimes they end up released. We're going to see this pattern yeah. Over and over again. Yeah, in and out, like, in and out so far. Yeah, they do something extraordinary. They say a bunch of words. They get thrown in prison. And then um, somehow, like, either the system just releases them or sometimes there is a miracle that happens where the chains break off and they get bust out. Um, one of the things that I think is, is really kind of beautiful, even just about this chapter, and we've talked about this before, is that the whole idea of Acts is that the disciples are now going to do things that Jesus did. And so here we see them healing like Jesus did and then also getting punished for it like Jesus did that when you live in that whole spirit life um a lot of other people can't handle it you know and I think that to like go back to where we started um with people living with joyless urgency there's something about not living that way that causes other people anxiety, right? Like if we decided to be people who were slower and more thoughtful and saw, asked more questions than we had answers for, then maybe um, we would also experience some of that alienation that the disciples did. So this has me, um, anything from this, like we always try to say, is this, would this make us wake up any different tomorrow? Do you see anything? This might make, monday different for you right well the joyless urgency really is something that resonates in the fact that that i really liked what you said about that gate that's 
called beautiful here and can be translated to timely, maybe that slowing down can help you pay more attention to what's going on around you, pay more attention to, to timing. Yeah, and I like that they're actually interrupted, Simon Peter and John are like it, doing their thing. It might not seem timely to them because they're like, oh, we have to go pray. That's the important thing. But it turns out their day gets kind of derailed. I don't, I feel more alive when I break my schedule and go Absolutely. do the thing I was not supposed to do that day. But I forget how good that feels. Right. To it's hard to, I feel like I'm always running five minutes behind and it just makes it that much more nerve wracking to stop and do something that wasn't on your schedule. Yeah. Which is also the way of Jesus. Like his days are always getting derailed. So maybe the disciples finally learned something from him about paying attention to what's in front of you and not just the day that you want to go have. So uh, this is a beautiful story, a timely story, and all those things. We are sitting at the beautiful gate with these guys eating our omelets and our um, as many pancakes as we can some days mm -hmm. just to win the, the one, win the contest. But we're going to see Simon Peter... Uh, especially him, he's going to have, he's not done transforming. We're going to see more and more of him uh, transforming as we go in this book. But next up, in our next episode, we're going to get into a couple people uh, who drop dead. So it's going to get very <laughs> it's exciting. It's a roller coaster. Uh, in Acts 5. Uh, so get ready for it. Thank you for joining us on the Breakfast Translation. Who wrote the end of the story? Who found the last line?